0: Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary practice issues. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP, and its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. Hi, this is Daniel Koba, the editor of AJHP. Thanks for joining us for this episode of AJHP Voices. Today, we'll be discussing the descriptive report entitled Implementation of a Pharmacist-Provided Pharmacogenomics Service in an Executive Health Program, which was recently published on hhp.org. Our guests today are Dr. Yi-Ming Li, who is a pharmacist and assistant professor at the University of Colorado Skaggs School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences, and Dr. Lisa Corbin, a physician and professor of clinical practice in the Department of General Internal Medicine and Medical Director, Patient Coordinated Services at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Doctors Lee and Corbin, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's nice to be here.
1: Yes, thank you. Same here.
0: Your article was fascinating to me. ASHP as an organization has really been focused on advancing pharmacogenomic-based clinical decision-making. And to see an article that describes such a unique practice in terms of integrating pharmacogenomics into an executive health program. It really piqued my interest when we first reviewed the manuscript. And as I read it again in preparation for this interview, again, I was fascinated by the work that's been done. Interested to know in your careers, at what point did you decide to specialize in pharmacogenomics? What drove your interest? Dr. Lee, I'll
1: start with you. Yes, thank you for that question. So it it all started off when I completed my postgraduate year one PGY1 residency. I was about to go and select a PGY2 residency when the department chair at the University of Illinois, Chicago College of Pharmacy, she approached me asking me, we would like to start a PGY2 in pharmacogenomics, would you like to be the first resident? And that kind of took me by surprise, I thought, what's that? (laughs) And so that really took me on the journey to precision medicine and pharmacogenomics, which I don't regret since. And to further beyond that, I realized a one-year residency wasn't sufficient to equip me to be that pharmacogenomics pharmacist. That was when I went on to pursue a clinical pharmacology and pharmacogenomics fellowship offered at the University of Colorado. And during that time, I focused really much on implementing pharmacogenomics in the hospital setting. And then that was history since. <laughs>
0: You stayed at the, the University of Colorado, and you've done some incredible things there, Dr. Corbin. What about you and your journey in internal medicine? Where did how did you end up on the as uh, uh, the the dean at the University of Florida? Julie Johnson likes to say the pharmacogenomics
2: train. You meet Yi Ming, and <laughs> you get sucked into her energy. Um, So honestly, I didn't really know much about pharmacogenomics. I'm old enough to have it, you know, it was maybe a little flicker on the horizon when I was in med school and even in residency training this idea that maybe someday we'd be able to personalize our approaches to medications. I mean, we had this large concept grasp that um, everybody metabolizes things differently. And so, but we were sort of taught trial and error um, as far as finding the right drug for the disease in the patient. Um, so it was all new to me, really, when I met Yiming and her colleagues. Um, university of Colorado, I think, has taken a very strong forward position in the world of pharmacogenomics, and so heard about what, uh, what was being done, and with our biobank at university and some of the pharmacogenomics studies there, and, and then it was one of Yiming's colleagues that brought us together, and then hearing what Yiming had in mind, I thought, this sounds great, and so I am still learning. I'm still at the beginning stages of really understanding all the concepts around pharmacogenomics.
0: Got it. Dr. Corbin, you know, the, as I mentioned before, the article describes the provision of pharmacogenomics services in an executive health program. And maybe before we jump into the specifics of the program, you can talk. We, I think a lot of us have heard about them, but they're still a little bit uh, unclear for some of us. How do executive health programs work?
2: So I think um, executive health programs are getting more common and they're often affiliated with academic health centers like ours, but what they offer is a way for an individual to have everything that they would typically receive with their annual exam or their annual physical um, in a comprehensive manner that is very uh, efficient and goes a little bit deeper than your typical physical. So we'll do, for the individual who comes through, we'll do the history, the physical exam, routine lab tests, but a little bit more. So if it's a a woman, for example, who is due for a bone density screening, and mammogram, we make sure that those are done on the same day. We might have somebody visit with a dermatologist and we go a little bit deeper into screening and prevention. So um, we offer treadmill stress test or VO2 max fitness testing, coronary calcium CT scores. So things that aren't typically part of an annual exam. And then it's all neatly Um, finished off and tidied up by the end of a half day so everybody has all their results and has a plan for the future and a plan to carry forward to uh, with a big emphasis on prevention and maintaining excellent health.
0: I think you've just convinced me rather than um, trying to coordinate my six different visits across Washington, D.C., I'm going to start to look for an executive health program. Yeah. Dr. Lee, how prevalent are Pharmacogenomic services in executive health programs like this—is it some—is it pretty common?
1: No, it's not. It's there's only a handful of places that I could find that published or advertise pharmacogenomic testing in their executive health programs. So it's relatively new.
0: And has that has, it's you say it's relatively new. Um, is that does that include was that from the point that you started have they grown even since you started your work in an executive health program or do they still remain relatively, I guess, rare, maybe if we use that that descriptor.
1: I think more and more places on our adopting pharmacogenomic or offering pharmacogenomic testing, I guess, selectively to executives or people who are willing to pay out-of-pocket. I and mean, part of the key thing is that insurance companies do not cover the test. So it's a out-of-pocket payment for these patients. Got it. Got it. Okay.
0: So, so Dr. Corbin, when the executive health program at the University of Colorado decided to include pharmacogenomics testing, you know, the decision was to implement a pharmacist provided service. And you you made a few comments before about, uh, you know, just uh, Dr. Lee's energy and, uh, but what drove the decision to, to go with a pharmacist led approach?
2: Well, I think backing up a little bit one of the things that we were interested in with the program in general is being a relatively small program. I mean, anytime you want to roll out a new pilot and and try something out clinically, it's nice to have a well-defined group to be able to do that with. And so I think that was uh, what attracted Yiming and her team um, to us. And then because I've got no education in this and and nor do the other docs that I work with, doing it kind of as a shot in the dark with maybe Dr. Lee pulling the strings from behind the scenes didn't seem to make a lot of sense. So having a pharmacist who is very well educated and spending her career with pharmacogenomics to lead not only our patients through the testing, but us as well, just made perfect sense. When you've got that expertise, why wouldn't you use it? How many physicians are in the group? Certainly, we have three, but as of June 15th, we'll have four. Four.
0: And the adoption and embracing of Dr. Lee's role is universal across the group, I assume?
2: Yes, I'd say my colleagues are very happy to have Dr. Lee um explaining things to patients, explaining things to us, um, administering the tests, explaining the results, and makes our jobs a little bit easier, too, at at the end of the day when we have a better idea of what medications might work better for our patients.
0: Yeah. You know, Dr. Lee, you, you we we talked a, a minute ago about the relative rarity of pharmacogenomics services in an executive health program, and that's really the basis of your article. And one of the things that I think uh, is valuable to the, will be valuable to the people that read your article, the ones that listen to this podcast, is really to understand your implementation of the program and what's, Steps you had to go through. Can you walk us through uh, those steps?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question because prior to starting this, I did some research to see what other places have done to implement pharmacogenomics. I mean, in our setting, we are doing it in this for executive health pro, in executive health program. But there have been other publications that have implemented pharmacogenomics in a community health setting in Chicago, and I did tap into some of the publications by the pharmacists there in AJHP, and. Uh, So there were four things that we considered before we implemented it. I think of the who, where, what, and why. It's like, who are these people that we're testing? We're looking at uh, what kind of patient population are we facing in the executive health? This was followed by the next question is, so which test should we use? That's when we need to go through and select a test that is, to me, has to be evidence-based and clinically actionable so that our patients can trust us with the information we provide and use that information not only for their current conditions but also for future purposes as well given that your genetics don't change. The other logistics question is like where can we send this test to? Who will do it? How long does it take for you to come back to get those results? Because we want it in a timely manner that these executives can have those results as soon as they can when they see the doctor. Um, I, I mean the ultimate question is how much does it cost at the end of the day? It has to be Affordable to a certain degree, that these patients be willing to take out the test. Yeah. So the third step we took was that having determined who are the patients, which tests we will have, or which we will, which tests we won't use, is to come up with a visit structure that these patients can get the test results and we go over the information with them during the executive visit. The last step that came to it is the very practical thing: is how do we bill for this service at the end of the day as a pharmacist? Yeah.
0: And how did you answer that that question? What is the the approach to billing for
1: i for for pharmacists and a service of this type? I know this is a, because pharmacists are not recognized as providers in all the different states, it varies from state to state. And so that was a challenge. The two components of the bill is billing for the test itself and billing for the pharmacist service. So when it comes to billing for the test, we decided to use a commercial test so that the patients would be paying a fixed fee for that test when it came to the pharmacist billing we had to go through a couple of models to consider do we bill based on the time we spend the complexity of it uh, do we bill? do the patients pay the clinic a fixed fee and then i just come in to uh, see the patients for certain days of the week given that we didn't know the uptake of this service at the start we couldn't put a fixed amount At the end we came up with a hybrid model i'll call it that we will charge everybody a fixed fee bundled together with the cost of the test then you don't have to worry about paying which party, they just paid one time for that visit. And we also open it up to the patients that you can have access to the pharmacist for the next 12 months. You know, you just, It doesn't end with this visit when you leave the executive health visit. You can say, contact me, and we follow up questions by your other providers. This is it's especially important when patients see non-executive health providers outside UC Health, and these providers don't have a pharmacist around to consult. With those results and so this is a great way of continuing that care should there be a need for further consult with the pharmacist.
0: You know I want to get back to that patient interaction in a minute but maybe I'll start by asking Dr. Corbin to Talk a bit about the practice itself. You've already mentioned that you have three going on four physicians in the group. But in terms of the, the patient population itself, uh, how big is it and what's the, what's the typical demographic
2: of the, the patients in your population in this executive health program? Yeah, so our program was started about 18 years ago or so and and started really as a program that was offered to companies where they could contract with us to send people in their C-suite through. And part of that was, oh, this is a nice bonus to be able to offer people to help retain them and keep them happy. And also recognizing that busy executives often don't take great care of their health and let things slide. And I'd say back in that time, um, especially it was uh, very heavily tilted towards middle-aged white men. And we're slowly moving away from that. But I'd say our demographics and, and over the years, in addition to um, companies contracting with us to send their C-suite through, we also opened it up. So anybody who wants to avoid use of insurance, get everything done in one day, um, like I described earlier, can just pay out of pocket and come through the executive health program. And so we would see executives recommending it for the, some of their wives. And then as word got out, people thought this is a great thing and I'm going to use this in lieu of my regular annual exam and that's changed our demographics a little bit as well but um, we looked at this for the study and we found currently we're seeing about 500 people in the executive getting executive visits a year um, the average age is 51 we have a range from down as low as 20 years old our oldest patient we've seen is 91 and about 75 percent of those are male and about 90 percent of our patients are Caucasian
0: Got it. And going back to this encounter with a pharmacist as part of the program, and Dr. Lee, I think that I'm always interested in this question when you go in and you talk to these folks. And and really, I think I have two questions here. Number one, are they surprised to have a pharmacist involved in their care? How do they react to that? And number two, what's their reaction to a Uh, pharmacogenomics testing is part of the overall services that are that are provided to them
1: so to answer your first question what is the patient's reaction actually i I think because i come in and talk about there's a genetic test that tells me how you respond to medication i think it was a very natural fit for them to see a pharmacist asking this question they didn't i have not had anybody ask why did they see a genetic counselor so Because I said this is specifically looking at drug response, I'm not looking at disease risk, we're not going into that at all. And then because I dive into getting their medication history, I think it was a very nice fit, reviewing their medications and genetics.
0: And then when you present this idea to them of taking a look at their, their genetic profile and the, the potential effect on the medications that they use, you know, what's their reaction to that? Have, have they contemplated that before they even come in for the visit or is this completely new to them?
2: Yeah, so the way we've got it structured currently is when when somebody schedules for an executive health visit, they get they also schedule a pre-visit phone call with one of the physicians to screen and to say what sort of tests are going to be appropriate. Do they have any medical conditions that would alter how we set up the day? And at that time, that's when we introduce the idea of pharmacogenomic testing. So it's not something that's currently uh, when they walk in and everybody gets it. So everybody walks in and gets their blood pressure taken and gets a standard blood test, but not everybody walks in and gets the pharmacogenoma testing. So it's something that we've spoken to them on the phone as we set up their visit. And so the physicians will, when we're talking to the patient, if we find out, boy, you're sure taking a lot of medications or the patient is bringing up things like boy, you know, I've been on that uh, sertraline for years, doesn't seem to be doing the trick, or I had uh, some funny reaction to anesthesia, or caffeine doesn't seem to work on me at all, you know, some, some of those little clues then we'll bring up with them, what do you think about pharmacogenomic testing, and explain the basics, you know, at an internist level of understanding, which I think is like a layperson, or at least because I'm coming at it from that angle, I think I can explain it in a way a layperson can understand, and, and so many times they just jump right on that, and they're super excited to know a little bit more personal about them um, that can explain their past reactions to medications or intolerances or side effects or lack of response or over-response, um, and then to also know, I think another back to the point of what well, coming from a pharmacist, I think it's an extra bonus, and just as important to have a pharmacist review the medication list with them and to stress the importance of how to take the medications and possible drug interactions and talking about supplements and all those other things that are worth their weight in gold and so so when the patient then does come in for their visit they are they know they're going to be meeting with Dr. Lee and and hearing more about it and getting into more details um, and so I don't think at that point anybody has then turned Dr. Lee down and said never mind I don't want to do this after all but yeah. Uh, not everybody uh, that we talk to that comes through for executive health does opt to have the pharmacogenomic testing.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. And what are the I mean the the drug gene pairs that you're most often uh, that you're most often dealing with? What What are some of the classics that you're you're seeing in your population? Yes.
1: Uh, so I use a panel based test with multiple genes. And the classic ones that a lot of drugs go through, like a CYP two C nineteen, they will affect drugs like clopidogrel, your yeah. antiplatelet. CYP two D six affects a lot of antidepressants, and that's I've got a lot of questions about that. Interestingly, even though there are no clinical guidelines out there, I have patients who come to me talking about struggling with sleep, medications for uh, antihistamines, cold and cough medications as well. And so, for some of them, I actually had to look up the literature to find what is the mechanism of the metab- metabolic pathway of these drugs, maybe they could explain why they're experiencing excessive amount of sedation with some of these medications. Yeah, so cyp 2 c 19 to C9, which affects drugs like your NCIDS. Yeah, 2 c 19 they recently had a publication for proton pump inhibitors. So there's a lot of people who buy over-the-counter Prilosec, they don't realize that's affected by that pathway.
0: Well, you know, it's funny that you would bring up that specific one because I was going to ask you about, I had that one in mind, when, when new guidelines come out from CPIC, for example, do you then go on to, to make sure that the entire clinical team, and we didn't talk about this, but I, are there nurse practitioners and physician assistants in the practice as well, um, or is it solely a
2: physician team? this practice is solely a physician team i mean in the other internal medicine clinics there are um, advanced practice providers but in ours it's it's just
1: the docs
0: okay and and so when new guidelines come out uh dr lee is that sort of part of your role to get the team up to to speed on what's most recently come out of CPIC so that everybody's sort of on the same page if it's proton pump inhibitors
1: for example Exactly right. Yes, we do. Our team actually meets very regularly. <laughs> well, at the start, we met almost monthly, and I would give them updates on the progress of this, and even feedback from our patients. And I also gather feedback from the providers on where we can improve in our service to make things better for our patients. So I do update them on what's new by the Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium.
0: And you mentioned feedback from the patients. What 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 has been the response from the patients? What's their reaction been to the you know this service and the information that they're receiving?
1: So on my end, uh, some of them are very surprised by their genetic results. And some of them were—it's a mixture. Get those who are surprised, like, oh, I didn't know about that. I need to look up for these medications in the future. Some of them are a bit disappointed. They thought they carried a genetic variant to explain all their weird reactions. So I always tell them that genetics is only one piece of the puzzle. It's not the entire piece. And so to set realistic—this is part of the. During my first visit with them, I try to set realistic expectations so that they don't—I don't overpromise what genetics can offer, but always bring it back to what medicine is—is both. I think it's an art and a science (laughs) you always take into account the clinical factors in addition to things like genetics but overall it's been very positive
0: so dr corbin when and, and i imagine that this is actually applicable to a broader information set that comes out of the visit than only the pharmacogenomic information but what i'm sort of interested in is then that when folks progress around the health system or across the health system, however you want, across the continuum, how does their information travel with them? I mean, it seems like there's a really pretty rich data set that your patients uh, in this program have, including their pharmacogenomics information. And So if a patient has a hospital admission, is that readily communicated to the inpatient team as well?
2: So a couple of things to mention on that. So the Executive Health Program is a standalone program. So some of the patients coming through the Executive Health Program also get their primary care and ongoing medical and specialty care through University Hospital. And some of those patients even see my team of physicians for their ongoing primary care. But a fair amount of these executives have primary care and other specialty care that happens outside of the University Hospital setting with some of uh, the programs in the community. So that it's certainly a whole lot easier to keep the communication lively when the patient is seen for all their other medical issues and for primary care within the University of Colorado system. But even when they are, it can be tricky. And it's something that we have an ongoing discussion about is how to best keep those results front and center because it can be challenging. If if you're a busy doc in the emergency department and a patient who's had PGX testing comes in, we Would love for our electronic medical record system to be able to flag that, so that they can quickly consult that before making decisions or during an admission. But right now, we're we're still kind of struggling to how how to make that pop. So there's different alerts that the charts can set out, but you get alert fatigue, and people just you know click through those a lot. Or you could put it on the problem list to say, please note patient has PGx testing on file. But then you know there's 25 other problems, and that can get lost too. So uh, very long answer, I guess, to your question to say that we're still trying to figure out how to communicate things. If the patient is one of my patients, for example, I will get an automatic notice if they're admitted, and then I can reach out to the primary team and say, hey, please consider the pharmacogenomic testing, but that's fairly labor-intensive. It would be great if that could happen automatically in the background. But Dr. Lee and her team do a great job at communicating with other physicians. And one recent example that ties in that uh, proton pump inhibitor example is Dr. Lee just, I think, a couple of days ago sent me an email as well as a GI provider to alert both of us that a patient she had just completed pharmacogenomic testing on, she noticed was on a meprazole and might be better served by one of the other proton pump inhibitors based on her PGX results. And the GI doc was like wowed and amazed and, and is making changes. So there it is at work right there. So um, yeah, I think, but we're, we're still, that's a work in progress, figuring out how to best keep those results for, or the fact that the patients even had testing front and center.
1: If I may add to that, I just cross my mind. Oftentimes we think of the responsibility of communicating information on the providers, but we also need to include the patients as well. And this is where the patient education part comes in. I often talk to them, like, please make sure your other providers outside this healthcare system knows about it, and you have a portable copy of your results, so you can always send it to them for their reference. I had a few patients who had to go for surgery, so they were actually telling their new anesthesiologist, so Dr. Lee, this is test, this is how it results. If you have questions, email her. <laughs> so I've actually had questions but to me from outside the system. So I'm really happy to know that patients are keeping that in mind that this is my genetic results, this is gonna affect me and they want to be a self-advocate for their own safety. So Dr.
0: Lee, along with, you know, those challenges with communication that that naturally occur, were there other implementation challenges as you tried to uh, develop a pharmac, or as you successfully developed a pharmacogenomics service in, in, a, in such a unique environment?
1: Yeah. Um... I think this is a challenge that any implementation person would face, is the, the evidence. We don't Pharmacogenomics is a growing field, and the evidence will evolve over time. And often been asked questions about things that there is no guideline. There is very limited literature around it. And so I had to do a lot of digging and research to come up with a postulated reason behind those reactions. Um, sometimes there is a good reason, sometimes we can't. And so there have been cases whereby I thought I could write a case report on this because I've seen it happen in a two or three patients, but nobody's reported about it based on their genetics. So I'm very happy to see that this is an area that we are not only gathering information, but we can also contribute to the field itself to help other people who are implementing pharmacogenomics. Absolutely.
0: Do you have trainees, residents and students who spend time with you and who have developed, um, who've been inspired by your passion
1: for pharmacogenomics? Yeah, so here at the University of Colorado, Skagg School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences, we actually have a fellowship program and I actually have my second fellow with me, it's a two-year fellowship program. So I have one who just graduated and she got a job elsewhere, the second one is going through training with me and he gets to see patients with me so that I can train him with the, through the thought process and see how he manages new cases. I also have fourth-year pharmacy students who participate with, they are doing clinical rotations in pharmacogenomics with me as well. So it's been getting a lot of attraction, yeah. Dr. Corbin, what about on the medical side? Are there uh, uh,
0: trainees that are rotating through, and even in an executive health program, how much exposure do medical residents, for example, get to executive health programs?
2: Yeah, so um, at the uh, Colorado School of Medicine and the Anschutz Medical Campus education is is paramount and so Whereas as you might imagine, an executive health program might be separated from all that. We bring our students right into the mix. And so it's not uncommon for an executive patient to have an observing medical student or a medical student who is, is taking the history and, and right alongside the physician. We also have physician assistant students that come through and rotate with us. And I just, I also wanted to mention, uh, to shout out to Dr. Lee and her educational efforts, because she is never alone. She is always surrounded by a flock of eager learners <laughs> from the pharmaceutical students to the the fellows. And I also wanted to put in a plug for her current fellows study that he's doing gets back to that. How are the patients responding? So Jimmy's currently doing a, a qualitative study on people's reactions and how they feel the pharmacogenetics testing has has impacted them since they've had it done and, and sort of pros and cons. And I think that'll help us direct our future implementations. But also probably very worthy of publication in your journal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why, you were, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was about (laughs) to say, we'll look forward to getting that manuscript submitted so that we can give it full consideration.
2: Absolutely. It's going to be a great follow-up to really understanding how this program has impacted people in in their healthcare.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see just really the growth as you, as people look at your work and uh, think about executive health programs and other unique environments where you can implement pharmacogenomics programs. This has been a great conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today, but I want to thank Drs. Yiming Li and Lisa Corbin for joining us today to discuss their article on the implementation of a pharmacist-provided pharmacogenomics service in an executive health program, which was recently published on HHP.org. Please join us here each month for discussions on contemporary pharmacy practice issues and interviews with HHP authors. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your colleagues, family, friends, and via your social media of choice. Thank you for listening to AJHP Voices. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit
1: AJHP.org.